Ben. Um, maybe we just pray as we start. Uh, the words we're going to be looking at, the passage will be on the screen, so please follow that as best you can as we go through. But let's just pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Um, we pray you'd help each one of us, help myself, just to relate this clearly. But I pray for every soul that's here, that they will just open their hearts and minds to what you want to say to them. Father, you are interested in us as individuals. You're also interested in us as a group of people meeting together. And we, we just pray your blessing upon us, Father, that you would come and speak to us. May your word really come through your Holy Spirit to impact our minds and move our hearts that we will know you and worship you. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Maybe you're very disappointed that Stuart is not here this evening. You're not as disappointed as I am, to be perfectly honest, um, because I am here uh, stepping into his uh, shoes. And he apologizes very profusely for the fact that he wasn't able to come tonight. <clears throat> Please follow the words as we look at it on the screen there. When we look at Jesus, especially in these verses, we see Humility, Christ-like humility, is an essential characteristic of true Christian living, both in our relationship to God, our Heavenly Father, and to other people. Pride is an abomination to God. The Bible is full of examples of people who God humbled because of their arrogance and pride. We read in the Old Testament about King Nebuchadnezzar, the king thought he was almighty, that, he could be, that God could be sidelined and silenced. In fact, the king lost his mind as a result of his, of his rebellion. And he ended up living in the fields and grazing with the cattle. He went down so far. But it's important to note that he, as he restored his mind again, it was in combination with his humility. He realized that God was almighty and that he was nothing in comparison. In the Old Testament book in the prophet Micah, Micah tells us that God wants something of us and what it is that we should walk humbly with our God. Pride is an offense to God and humility is beautiful and fragrant to our Heavenly Father. True Christian relationships are only seen as we bow and worship to him in great humility. But also a true Christian character is only seen in humility to other people. The secret of harmony in our relationships is humility with one another. <clears throat> I'll go as far as to say that behind every breakdown of relationship and friendship lurks vanity and pride. It's when our pride is injured that our relationships break down. So if we want to rightly relate to God and to other people, then humility is not an optional extra. It is essential to healthy and Christ-like relationships. Let's however look at these verses and see what we can learn, what Jesus teaches us, which hopefully will give us some help and thinking through these things. The background of this letter, as we know, is that there had been quarreling and envying seen in this church, which was spoiling the joy of their fellowship. 
Some people had arrived who were preaching out of envy against Paul. They felt they were better than Paul and they were full of pride. Also, some of the ladies were quarreling and so relationships were broken down. And Paul wants them to have the mind of Christ, not their own self-centered minds and hearts. If you look at verse 5, it says, to them and to us, have the same mind, the same mind as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself for our sake. So the only way to have one mind, the same mind, is to have the mind of Christ. And his mind is a humble mind. You see that humility is the key to having harmony and unity in the Christian family. And as we go through these verses, we will see that humility proceeds in three stages. The first stage, as we've been saying, humility begins in the mind. If you look at verse 2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. You notice that always when there is a selfish heart, there's always a conceited mind, full of pride and full of self. The two go together, a selfish heart and a conceited mind. It's logical when you think about it, if I'm wrapped up in myself and my own comforts and my fortunes, it is unlikely that I will have time or even the inclination to think of others. I will be the center of the universe and others and other people are there for my worth. This might sound small and trivial, but it really gets my goat. When I drive from my house, if you know where I live in Bridge Street, it's quite a busy street, and sometimes I have to wait for the traffic to come out to get a space to drive out. And quite often there's a lot of people walking up and down the road. And the way my car is that as I'm waiting, these folk will have to walk out onto the road to get past me. And so I quite normally, or usually anyway, I will reverse back a couple of feet in order to allow the people to not have to walk on the road, but walk on the footpath or on the path in front of my car. I would say nine times out of 10, there's no reaction. There's no acknowledgement. There's no sense of gratitude. I don't suppose it's a big thing. There's no awareness of anyone else. They just walk past, even though it's been quite obvious that I've reversed back to allow them to keep walking on the footpath in order to keep move on. There's a sense of being self-centered and unaware that somebody has just done a kindness to them. I'm not looking for it, but, but somebody's just done a kindness and they don't acknowledge that. It's a strange phenomenon. And sometimes I feel like tooting the horn and saying, not at all, sir, or not at all, madam. Oh, that's right, you didn't say anything, that's right. Anyway, it's a small thing, but it tells something about their hearts. A conceited or self-absorbed mind often lies behind our behavior. So how is it possible for us, as it says in verse four, please look at it there if you can see it, to look not only to our own interests, but also to look to the interests of others. 
How is that possible? Well, the answer is given at the end of verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than ourselves. It's not how we think about others that will determine how we will behave towards others. Humility begins in the mind, not in our actions. Now, there's a very important question to answer here. How can we count others to be better, or as it says in the ESV, which is the translation in front of you, more significant than ourselves, when in fact they might obviously not be better or more significant than you or me? How can this be right? If someone is a thief, a thief and I am not, or if someone is a drug dealer and I'm not, or if someone is a violent husband and I'm certainly not, how can I consider them to be more significant or better than myself or yourself? That's a very proper and thoughtful question to ask. That's one which needs an answer. We first of all need to say that humility is not hypocrisy. It's crazy to suggest that we can just ignore the fact in certain areas that some people are morally bankrupt. And it's impossible for us in all honesty to say that they are more important than ourselves. So what is the answer? Well, the word that is used in the ESV, as you can see, is the word more significant. And the NV, it uses the word better, but the ESV probably has got the understanding more correct, more significant. It's not to think of people as to their moral standing, but of their worth. Not their worth to you or to society, but in fact their worth to God. The Christian way of doing this is to remember who these people are. They are human beings made in the likeness of God. They are God-loved people and he loves them. They are made by their creator and loved by their creator and loved so much that he sent his son to come and die on the cross for their sins. That is their worth of these people. We have to recognize their dignity, their value in the sight of God. And if they're Christian people, they are children of God and are destined for heaven. So as we in our minds begin to think differently in a Christ-like way, then we will treat people differently. Humility starts in the mind and that then allows us to behave differently when we humbly see each other and see their worth in the way that Jesus looks at us in his great mercy. Paul then goes on in the next verses to give us examples of Jesus. Let's read these together. Verse 5, have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What we think determines our behavior and not the other way around. We need to pray that we will have the mind of Christ, which will then govern our behavior. In these verses we see, and in the Bible we see examples from Jesus Christ of radical behavior where he loved in a humble way. 
draw you back to John chapter 13, which, if you know it, is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Probably one of my most favorite portions of Scripture. Jesus is there. No one is willing to get up out of their seats. They're all stuck to their seats because of their status that they want to have, because of the position that they think they should have. They're not willing to humble themselves and wash each other's feet. But Jesus humbly gets up out of his seat and does what they should have done and washes their feet. But the most wonderful part of that portion of Scripture when you read it in John chapter 13, if you get a chance, read it again, maybe tonight. John comes to Judas, and in that chapter, it's very clear that Jesus understands that Judas will betray him. And when he comes to Judas, he doesn't say, Judas, I'm not going to wash your feet. He says nothing. He washes the feet of his betrayer. The Redeemer of the world bows at the feet of his betrayer and washes his feet. That is Christ-like humility. Or if you go move on 24 hours in the story, and Jesus is on the cross, and Jesus looks after everybody. He looks after the robbers on either side of him, one who accepts the way of salvation and the other who doesn't. He looks after his mother, makes sure that one of the disciples takes her in and cares for her. He looks after our sin. And then a very small thing is said right at the end. Jesus says, I thirst. When everything else was done and finished, Jesus said, I thirst. Everybody else was taken care of. And then his own earthly needs were taken care of. I thirst. Humble service. Christ-like service. Jesus says it in verse 7. He emptied himself. Jesus never denied who he was. He was God, but he never let that affect his giving of himself. We're not called to deny who we are, just to come alongside someone or people. So whatever is our background, and maybe we use that to identify who we are, in fact, we set aside those things in order to relate and to love to those we meet. I had a wonderful experience which came out of the blue, which I didn't think would happen, and I've told some of you about it. I love to go to Dublin occasionally on the train, and I'd gone to Dublin just on a whim, I thought, and when I got to Dublin, I thought, what am I going to do now? So I got on the dart, and I took the, the train down to Greystone, south of Dublin. Greystone's a beautiful wee town. I spent a couple of hours there. It was a beautiful sunny day. I got back in the dart again, and the first stop on the way back is Bray. Beautiful sunny day. And this guy sat down beside me. He was six foot five. He had a cut-off T-shirt with big tattoos up and down both arms. And I thought, this is going to be an interesting conversation. And this guy said, a lovely day today. And I said, beautiful day. And he obviously recognized my accent. He said, are you here for the day? Did you come up for the day? And I said, yes. He says, why did you come to Dublin? And I says, I really don't know. I just came out of a whim. And he says, what do you do? And I, I told him that I, I worked in an emergency department in a hospital here. And then I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a, training to be a drug counselor in Dublin. And I said, is it a big issue in Dublin? He said, it is. So I said, well, it's a big issue for us at home as well. And then he said, the problem is they don't have any hope. 
To which I said, what do you mean by that? He says, I don't have any hope in Jesus Christ. I said, are you a Christian guy? He says, I am. I said, so am I. So Sean and I shook hands and I told him my name is Gilly. And for the next five minutes, he spoke on Romans 8, that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. I then said to him, Sean, you asked me earlier, why did I come to Dublin? And I said, I didn't know. Well, I came to Dublin to meet you. I didn't realize what had happened. He then said, Gilly, to tell you the truth, I was one of the chief drug dealers in Dublin until Jesus Christ came into my life and transformed my life. I thank God for that moment when we just sat beside each other as brothers in Christ. It was nothing to do with status. Our only status was that we belonged to Jesus Christ because of what he had done for us on the cross. My friend, Sean, and as he left, he went to the door. He says, I'm way off to see my, my fiance. I've just got engaged. I'm way off to see her. And he shouted from about 10 yards away. The whole train heard it. Brother, see you in glory. And off he disappeared into the night. And I don't expect to see Sean again, this side of glory. But I thank God for that meeting. Jesus didn't deny who he was, but he set aside this not to be served, but to serve. He set aside his glory because he saw our worth and he loved us. He loved us enough to die for us. And if we are to be his disciples, we are called to think of others more than ourselves. And this starts in our minds. What we think about others, how we value them, starts in our minds. And I think about Sean. The second stage in humility, humility begins in our minds, but it leads on to our behavior. There are two things that Jesus did as we read them in verse 7 and 8. Please follow them on the screen there. It says, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He emptied himself. That's the first thing he did of his rights and of his position. He was born as a baby. He came to us in weakness. And secondly, he humbled himself not to rule over us and demand our obedience and our loyalty and our worship. No, he humbled himself unto death, even to die on the cross. Jesus, in his birth, identified with the exiles and the homeless. And in his death, he identified with despised criminals. He humbled himself in his birth and dealing and in dealing with our filthy sin, he humbled, humbled himself in taking our punishment on the cross. His humble actions came from a humble mind. Please notice that he did this deliberately voluntarily he chose to do this himself no one else took his place the old hymn says there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin 
he only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. What must we do? We must start to think like Jesus, to see folk as having value as he sees them. Despite all the other things that seem to say the opposite about them, not to be status seekers and to constantly trying to elevate ourselves, but to come alongside folk as best we can and want the best for them so that we can give of ourselves to other people in whatever way so that we can serve them. I've told you this story before, but it's worth repeating of a man called Tom Allen. Tom Allen was the minister of a big church in Glasgow, very well-known, famous gentleman. And Tom Allen actually died as a young man, and after he died, the minister who took over the church was a man called George Duncan, and George Duncan was woken in the middle of the night by a telephone call. And the telephone call was a lady who said, is Tom Allen there, please? To which George Duncan had to say, I'm so sorry, but Tom Allen died recently. And the lady was heard to say, what do I do now? And it turned out that this was a prostitute from the city of Glasgow. And unknown to anyone else except Tom Allen's wife, Tom Allen set aside his status as the minister of a big, big church in Glasgow. He set aside his status and got up out of his bed and went to the city centre to minister into the lives of prostitutes. He set aside his status in humble service because in his mind he understood what it meant to be a humble servant. Humility begins in our minds, but humility also continues in our action. And thirdly and finally, humility ends in worship. Let's read verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The bottom line is that Jesus did not put on a performance for us knowing that one day he would be exalted, exalted as it says in verse 9. No, he could not help himself. It was his nature. He loves us humbly. That is who Jesus is. And he's been exalted to a place of worship. We too one day will be exalted. Do you remember the parable of Jesus told about the Pharisee? and the obvious sinner, the publican. The Pharisee exalted himself and praised his religious behavior as a means to impress God. But he exalted himself straight into hell. While the publican humbled himself before God and confessed his sin, and he was forgiven and was exalted by God into heaven. Peter says, Humbly, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. We humble ourselves not to try and buy our salvation. No, we humble ourselves as guilty sinners because that is what we are. There is no salvation without us humbling ourselves before God as guilty sinners in need of a savior. And we worship that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee will bow. That's because our Savior is God's Son, our humble servant. Just want to look at those headings again. Humility begins in our minds. Humility begins in our minds. Humility changes our behavior. And humility leads to being exalted by God and to worship him. Humility begins in our minds. Humility changes our behavior. Humility leads to being exalted by God and to worship him. Let's just pray together as we finish. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word that very clearly sets out for us um, your heart, your almighty God, and yet you have a humble heart for us, Lord, and you love us dearly. And we've seen this in Jesus Christ. And we've read together some of his acts of humility and of service, and yet he never denied who he was. He was always the Son of God. We thank you that he got up out of a seat to wash the disciples' feet. He got up out of a seat even to wash the seat, the feet of someone who, was, who hated him and wanted to betray him. And maybe tonight we feel like rebels and that God could never love us and could never speak into our lives and could never do this for us because we are rebels. But Father, we thank you that you love us dearly and you want to speak into all our lives. But Father, we thank you for the fact that as you come into our lives, you want to change our lives and you change our minds, that we understand what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We understand what it means to be humble servants. We understand what it means to set aside our status. And Father, we thank you that you change our behavior as a result of that so that people recognize Jesus Christ within us, not because we are anything great, but because you've promised to work through us. But Father, we thank you that you exalt us one day to glory, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. And Father, we want to praise you and thank you for that. Some of us might do it very quietly, some of us might do it very loudly, but I simply want to thank you, Father. In the quietness of this moment, we want to say thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice for me. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've included me in this. Despite what the world might think about me, you think a lot about me. And you love me dearly. And we thank you for that, Father. So, Father, we pray your blessing upon each one of us that our minds and our hearts and our behavior will be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, making us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for that, Father. We deserve none of this. And we say thank you.
And as we sing together, and we stand and sing together in a few moments, help me, Lord, to express the words that we sing in gratitude, whether it's quietly or whether it's out loud, whatever way we want to say thank you, Father, and praise you. Because we recognize that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who belong to him, to you, and those who do not belong to you, but every knee will recognize that Jesus Christ